This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Peltzer Inventions. Fantastic ideas for a fantastic world. At Peltzer Inventions, we make the illogical logical. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, the holiday season continues with Gremlins from 1984 and Krampus from 2015. But before we start the show, Kelsey, what do we do? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Why don't you give me a question? What 1978's Superman actress was also in 1974's Black Christmas. Um, I just got to remember her. Uh, Margot Kidder. That is correct. Yeah, just couldn't remember her name for some reason. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. These are so easy. In Fright Night, 1985, what kind of supernatural creature is Jerry Dandridge? That would be a vampire. That is correct. <laughs> Does everyone know, by the way, what I'm referencing when I say that is Koreak? Probably not. Probably not? Uh, Google it. (laughs) (laughs) That is correct. All right, Kelsey. First up is Gremlins from 1984, written by Chris Columbus, directed by Joe Dante, and starring Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, and Hoyt Axton. But what is it all about? A boy is given a mogwai for Christmas, and he is told three rules. He very quickly uh, goes against all three of those all rules. Of, all three of them. Like, the first week, it's just all three of them. <laughs> and uh, they turn into little monsters. Yep. Mogwai or magui is actually Cantonese, I believe. And it means uh, some variation of devil, demon, evil spirit, mo- or monster. And the concept of a gremlin in general, which is what the Mogwai turn into, is from it's from a long time ago, but it was popularized in World War II. That's what made machinery, especially machinery and aircraft, go bad and break, is, it's, is it was gremlins. And you were supposed to take care of your aircraft to prevent gremlins from making it break. And then there was that Twilight Zone episode where there's a gremlin on the wing. Our gremlins are going to mess up every cassette tape from here to Idaho. From London to Idaho, yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I mean, everyone knows what gremlins is, right? I was going to ask you, should people watch it? I mean, yes. Yes. You should watch it. Don't show it it to your children. That's just plain cruel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this movie's pretty dark, and it was going to be even darker. Uh, Chris Columbus was going to kill off the dog and the mom the mom was gonna get beheaded and her head was gonna roll down the stairs and like it was really really dark and as a matter of fact uh stripe the main antagonist was going to be gizmo gizmo was gonna turn into stripe and so they would would even not have the heart of the film (laughs) (laughs) but uh that was something that spielberg was like no we need to have him 
He is the heart, and he needs a sidekick. That is, Billy needs a sidekick. His name is Billy, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. So they kept Gizmo alive and made Stripe a completely separate being. But could you imagine if it, if the dog died, the mom was beheaded, and Gizmo turned into Stripe? Like, that's fucked. <laughs> yeah. It, it, in the end, this movie is more of a creepy comedy than anything else. But I saw this when I was very little. Oh, yeah. I think most people did, right? It terrified me. Everybody always said, well, but look at Gizmo. Isn't he so cute? And even as a kid, I was like, I don't care how cute he is. He's the reason these things exist. <laughs> but he didn't want it to. He didn't. He knew it was bad when it happened. He didn't have any control over it. He was upset and he was sad. And seriously, it gets me emotionally every single time. The looks that Gizmo gives combined with the voice that Howie Mandel performs. The voice was always so sweet. And then when you told me it was Howie Mandel, it's not nearly as sweet. <laughs> you know, those voices are always someone. Yeah, I know, but I don't have to know who they are. And the voices of, like, a lot of the other, like, the actual gremlins and stuff like that was uh, done by Michael Winslow, who's the sound effect cop from Police Academy. <laughs> I don't know if that ruins it for you, too. I don't know who that is. There are people that do these voices. Did you ever see Spaceballs? He's the bleeps, the sweeps, and the creeps guy. You know, the bleeps. The sweeps. And the creeps. <laughs> That's not all he's lost. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> also, I grew up in the 90s and those stupid Furbies were a thing. Yeah. And how they got away with that design, I don't know. Yeah. It's very obviously a mogwai. It's pr yeah. I mean, come on. They, they use different colors and stuff like that. Although... Gizmo was specifically designed to look like a King Charles Spaniel because that was the type of dog that Spielberg had. Well, I always saw those things and I always thought they were not creepy, but ugly and that they were going to turn into fucking gremlins. I was like, why would anyone want one of those? They're so cute. No, they're really not. Not, not the Furbies, but oh. the, mog <laughs> the Mogwai. All right, so, I mean, come on, it's Christmas time, you're horror movie fans, just fucking watch Gremlins, okay? <laughs> Steven Spielberg presents Gremlins. Billy Pelser has a nice home, a nice job, a nice girl, and loving parents who are about to give him the most unusual gift he ever got. What is it? It's your new pet. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Because when they do, they change. They become clever. Mischievous. What's going on here? And dangerous. Gremlins, huh? Billy, what are these things? Where did they come from? Look, I know it sounds crazy. I know. But in a few hours, you're going to have a major disaster on your hands. 
Gremlins, directed by Joe Dante. They'll be expecting you. Kelsey, why don't you tell me the plot? Get us started. What actually happens in Gremlins? We open with the father, like, narrating. Did you remember that? I've seen this movie so many times, and every single time I forget that he narrates it. He narrates it at the beginning and then at the end again. Yeah, and it it, it feels like it's going to be like a narration type of movie, but it's, it's not. absolutely not. And he's not even there for half of it. Yeah, time. exactly. Like, he's barely even in the movie. It's such an odd choice. He's like in Chinatown trying to sell his his inventions, which are always crap. And at the same time, buy a Christmas present for his son, Billy Peltzer. And yet he he's like, he's supposed to be like this inventor who makes no money. And yet he has $200 to spend on a Christmas present. And they live in a really nice house. Okay. Yeah. So it's, in- that's the way movies go, I guess. <laughs> So in Chinatown, he uh, goes into a store and he hears the Mogwai singing, which is what gets him to want to buy it. But the owner of the shop says no, but the kid is like, we really need the money here, take it. During this exchange, he's trying to sell them on the bathroom, buddy. And and his, he's like pitching them on it, which, by the way, Hoy Axton apparently improv like... 90% of his lines. Uh, but he's talking about the bathroom buddy, and he starts it off by saying, you got yourself a case of dragon breath. And then you hear a gong noise, and it feels straight out of 16 candles. You got yourself a bad case of dragon breath. Bad breath. Well, because he looks and he sees a Chinese dragon sitting right in front of him. Right. He's like, oh, but then shit, you hear a I don't want to be offensive. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. He corrects himself, and he says, bad breath. Now, is that the movie acknowledging his stereotyping or its own stereotyping? Like, which is it? I'm just curious. It's probably the movie acknowledging his. I guess. Trying I don't to really be sensitive. I, I don't know. <laughs> but you're right. So the kid sells it to Randall behind his grandfather's back because, like you say, they need the money. But he warns him, and this is also in like an ADR conversation that happens. Off screen, there are rules. First of all, keep him out of the light. He hates, he hates bright, bright light. light. Especially, Especially sunlight, sunlight it'll, it'll kill him. him. And keep him away from water. Don't get him wet. But the most important rule, the rule you can never forget, no matter how much he cries, no matter how much he begs, never never feed him after midnight. Which is the rule that everybody has a problem with because it's like, well, then when can I feed him? Every time is after midnight. Exactly. So, like, it's if it was, like, never feed him after 11, then I could be like, oh, well, then I can feed him just that one hour. I can't feed him. You know, like, there's, there's a logic there, but every time is after midnight. That's classic question number one. Classic question number two. What about time zones? How does dude's body know, like, the human conception of time? And number three, if they can't get wet... If getting them wet causes them to multiply, why does the whole fucking movie take place in the snow? Surely they're getting wet that entire time. It's a really good point. Yeah, but the thing about this movie is you you got to ask those questions and have your fun and then watch the movie anyway. 
It's this is the suspension of the of disbelief factor. We just need to get over this initial hump to establish the premise, and then everything else is fine. There's also questions like how do the gremlins know what our traditions are and what caroling is and where did they get clothes and their size? And there's tons of questions like this. That's not the point. It's just supposed to be fun. We meet the family. We meet the son whose car won't start. He wants to be a comic book artist. His neighbor is like, oh, you don't find that in American machinery. Um, you see about how foreign cars have like gremlins essentially that are destroying their cars yeah this is the guy who always talks about ww2 or wwii (laughs) yes but so since his car won't start he has to run to work he's late um and there is a giant burger king sign right there nice and colorful for you to see yep we also see on the movie marquee uh, movies listed as A Boy's Life and Look to the Skies, which are were the working titles for Steven Spielberg's E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He works at the bank, and he works next to Phoebe... Is it Phoebe Cates or is it Phoebe Cats? I always thought it was Cats. Well, I mean, it's spelled Cates. Phoebe Cates, who does practically nothing in this entire movie. She, like the father, is just gone for most of it. This this movie entirely focuses on Billy. And then we see glimpses, chunks, where it focuses on other people, like Phoebe Cates in the bar, the mom at home, Billy and Corey Feldman in Billy's room. Like, you get glimpses, but there's never really, like, a core group that moves throughout the movie except for Billy and Gizmo, the two of them together. So he works next to Phoebe Cates, and it's very obvious that they're both interested in each other, but that they're too shy to do anything about it. Yeah. Which is odd, because this is supposed to be like a tiny little small town. Like, how long have you guys been in love with each other Uh and not done anything about it? And in comes this old lady who's obviously a joke on the Wicked Witch of the West. Obviously. Yeah. And I'll get your little dog, too. (laughs) Yeah, she comes in, she's upset because of the dog, and she's the richest woman in town, and she's going to have them put it down. Like, she's very obviously the Wicked Witch of the West. There There was a deleted subplot where the reason why she's such a bitch is because her husband is dead, and he was the one that made all the money. And she is foreclosing on people's homes as quick as she can because she's selling the property to a major like polluter corporation and and that's how she's going to maintain her riches because without her husband alive she has no income ah but they just ripped that entire subplot right out of the movie yeah the dog comes out and attacks her and because of that does he get fired no but he can't bring the dog back he still he still keeps his job but the other guy who we recognize from Judge Reinhold, yeah, Beverly Hills Cop, and also Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which Phoebe Katz was also in. He is like the second in command, and he tells him, "Like I would have fired you from like the second that that happened, you know. And you're yeah. lucky, and you better you better wise up because pretty soon I'm going to be head of the bank, and I won't accept that kind of stuff." And this is all said at the bar where Phoebe Cates is working. Yeah, we get a little shot of Chuck Jones 
the famous animator who did, you know, among other things, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And, you know, Billy wants to be a cartoonist. So it's kind of cute that they got him in there. And during this conversation, we find out that Phoebe Cates is working there for free just to help out. Um, So she's this really sweet girl and... The guy who works at the bank is like, who would work for free? You should really come and check out my hot car, and I'm super rich, and she's obviously not interested. Yeah, I know. He is an unabashed yuppie. Those those 20-somethings in the 80s who were all about status and money and were completely unashamed of it. So then Billy comes home, and he's getting up in the morning, and his mom is watching It's a Wonderful Life, and she comments about how sad the movie is. And a little weird. (laughs) I have all like for a very long time, I've had trouble watching It's a Wonderful Life because I think it's so depressing. And everyone gives me shit for that about how it's not. And and I've appreciated the fact that there are some people in this world who see how sad it is. So we talked about this with your dad recently, actually. We brought it up about how all this shit that he wanted to accomplish and he wanted to to uh, to experience we get to see throughout the course of this movie that he never gets and this is a man that's finally fed up with his life and he gets stepped on a few too many times and he tries to commit suicide this is a wonderful life now the movie's trying to point out to you that no what's really important is your relationships with others and family and love but like what about all the shit he wanted to do exactly (laughs) But sorry, so, sorry, fans of It's a Wonderful Life. But so why they're ha- while they're having this conversation, <laughs> the son wants to have orange juice, and he's obviously hesitant to use his father's invention. He goes to do it, and it doesn't work, right? And then, like, tons of orange juice that is way more than yeah, one orange way more could than, possibly have. Than the one orange you put in there. Gets all over the place. <laughs> these These... These inventions are totally impractical, but they do communicate uh, other than, you know, hey, maybe the family's on hard times because this is their only source of income right now. They do communicate one thing I think is really important, and that is that the mom just absolutely loves that dad. Yes. And so does Billy. And when he comes home, they all rush to the door to say hi, and they're a very happy family. Yes. And I think the... Inventions communicate that insofar as everyone in the family knows they kind of suck, but they still use them. (laughs) Exactly. So when they come in, when he comes in, he's got the mogwai and he tries to give it to him, but the bright, the light is too bright. So he tells her to dim the lights and she's got this enormous remote control. And when she presses it, it makes this stupid sound. Yeah, uh-huh. and it dims the lights again. Did they not have light dimmers back like then? Like this universal remote, a wireless light dimmer in in eighty four. <laughs> Isn't there a thing you turn to dim yeah, lights? Yeah, yeah. In 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 the eighties, the the light switches were knobs, right? That you would twist. You'd yeah, hit, you'd hit on and off, and then you would twist to turn up and down. Yeah, yeah. But it's wireless, Kelsey. Oh my god. Okay. Um, Get yourself a clapper. <laughs> So we're going to skip forward to Corey Feldman and Billy Peltzer upstairs. And Corey's just this little kid in the neighborhood, and he likes Billy, and Billy's a cartoonist, so they hang out some. And he shows 
Corey Feldman's character, Gizmo. And he's like, oh, he's really interesting. And we get to see really great transitions where they pick up a puppet that's intended to move. They set him down just off screen. And when the camera pans down, it's actually a completely separate puppet that has all the electronics hooked up through the table and all that. They do a lot of those really good switches. But I think it's Corey Feldman knocks over Billy's uh, little mug of paintbrushes and water to clean his paintbrushes. And it spills and it gets all over Gizmo. And he rolls over onto his stomach and he's pounding and his little legs are, and he looks in pain. I hate this. I hate it. Yeah. I hate it, hate it, hate it. It makes me so upset and sad. And 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 then all these little puffballs pop off of them. And this is what happens when you get them wet. They multiply. This is where I wrote, do they not give a shit that Gizmo is in pain? Yeah. Do they just not care? Now all they care about is the new, like, right. little puffballs. They don't give a fuck when about how much see, pain they just put him in. When they see that these new Mogwai are born, you know, they're like, oh, my God, look at what happened. But meanwhile, Gizmo is in despair. He is resigned to the fact that that this is happening. Like, he sighs and he shakes his head. He knows this is bad news. Ah, son of a bitch. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> it's so sad. And when they're... Eventually, they turn into these sticky cocoons, and we'll get to what happens in the meantime. Uh, and then they start to hatch, and he is worried and scared and shaking, and he's hiding in this helmet. And then later on, they throw darts at him, and he's like, arr, 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 and he's shaking. He is a very, very sympathetic puppet. Yes. It's incredible how evocative his facial expressions and his little movements are for somebody that's not hand-controlled. Mm -hmm. Like, it's... It's incredible what a great job they did at making Gizmo sympathetic. But it makes you so upset throughout this movie. True. And it makes you cheer him on when he gets brave. <laughs> so anyway, in order to find out what's going on with these Mogwai, Billy takes one of them to his high school professor. Like, why? <laughs> I guess he's the only science guy that you know. <laughs> Yeah, he teaches, like, sixth grade science. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. And he's like, well, can I keep him here and experiment on him? And Okay. <laughs> yeah, and despite the fact that this process was obviously painful, they just get him wet again to yeah, get another uh -huh. one. Yeah, it's a little bit nuts. Um, so these new ones are slightly different. They yeah. seem more aggressive. They seem more... Mischievous. Mischievous and mean-spirited. Like the real... Gremlins. Uh, coined the term was actually coined by Roald Dahl, by the way. The word gremlin. Yes, he had a story called Gremlin Lore, um, and that's because he was in the Royal Air Force. And like I said, the Air Force is where gremlin, the concept of gremlins, came up. So in popular culture, he's the one who exposed the world to the concept of gremlins. Huh. Yeah. Like at one point, they find their dog hung up in Christmas tree lights. Or Christmas lights outside. Yeah, okay. They're still mogwai. They have tiny little stubby feet and hands. How did they do this? Exactly. <laughs> um, poor Barney. And the kid assumes that it's the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. Which I can understand that. Because if you looked at those those little mogwai, you wouldn't think they'd be able to do it. They're kind of dicks. They'll bite you. But like intentionally with malice aforethought. I don't know. I wouldn't mm -hmm. believe it. 
So then I think he's walking Phoebe Kate's home. They're, you know, flirting and starting to kind of come out about how much they like each other. And she says something about hating Christmas. And he's like, how could you hate Christmas? Christmas is all about goodness and light and happiness. And it's just like, dude, you are trying to impress this girl. Why don't you think to yourself, maybe there's a reason she doesn't like it. And we'll find out what that reason is later on in the movie. God, say you hate Washington's birthday or Thanksgiving and nobody cares. Say you hate Christmas and everybody makes you feel like you're a leper or something. But then he finally asks her out and she says yes. And then he comes in, and this is probably my favorite line from Gizmo. Um, he's looking at, like, a comic book through 3D glasses. Yes. And Billy says, fun, huh? Neat, huh? And little Gizmo goes, fun, neat. Having fun? Fun. Pretty neat, huh? Yeah. <laughs> just that line has always made me smile. Or he's I think it's watching. So sweet. Yeah, and, and he's also he also likes watching movies and TV. And we figured this is where all the Mogwai get their like culture from and the things that they know is because all they do is they just absorb television and read and stuff like that. And he we see Gizmo watching to please a lady. Starring Clark Gable and Barbara Stanwyck, <laughs> where he's a race car driver, and we get to see him go, me. Yeah, it's really cute. He gets all like into it, and his little <laughs> lip curls up. Yeah, it's and really he pretends cute. he's driving the car. It's so, it's really, really cute. Gizmo, there's a reason why people name their animals Gizmo. There's a reason why, like, people love him, and he is perfect, and I cherish him. But then they've messed with the clock. So he thinks it's only 10.30 or something, and they say they're hungry, so he gives them food. And when they eat, they're really gross about it. Like, they're they're like... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And when he wakes up, they're in their disgusting cocoons. Yeah. And meanwhile, across town at the school, the professor leaves and doesn't realize he left his bologna sandwich on the table... And the one he has kept in a cage manages to reach it and eats it. And so they all turn into these cocoons like straight out of Alien. These gross, slimy, dark green cocoons. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what they're about. And they talk about how it's in their they're in their pupil stage like a butterfly. They're going to change. But they have no idea what they're going to change into. <laughs> yeah. They go to talk to the professor. And this is a really funny line. So the teacher is having the kids go out of the room. (laughs) And it's really funny. He's like, now, if any of you were thinking of getting me a Christmas present, tickets to the Super Bowl would be even better. Like, (laughs) you know, he's he's a funny teacher. He's a funny guy. I like him. And then his hatches first, I think. So when his hatches, he's looking for it because he can't find it. And, uh, yeah, the now gremlin kills him yeah and we don't exactly know how we just see him try to feed it and his hand is under a table under his desk and then there's that classic you know and then the next time we see him when billy comes by he's has his head under the desk and a needle stuck in his ass because earlier in the film he had wanted to do a blood test on him yeah and the the gremlin did not like that so Let's close a plot hole here. This gremlin named Earl. Later on, 
we we don't need to tell the story because it's not important. But later on, Billy comes by the school and gets attacked by this gremlin, Earl. And then we never see him again. It's like, okay, well, what happened to Earl? According to Joe Dante, he joined up with Stripe's gang later on. At the movie theater. Yes. So he's in the movie theater where all the other gremlins are when we get to the movie theater. So we're probably not going to talk about Earl again. Just know that's what happens to him. <laughs> While Billy is out of the house... The, uh, his new gremlins pop out and they attack the mother. Yes. And this is a classic scene. So she turns on a mixing bowl, which destroys one of them. <laughs> she throws a knife at one of them or she stabs one with a knife. She puts another one in the microwave and it explodes. Awesome. But she, there, there are tons of them. She gets attacked by them when they're in the tree and you see their eyes and it's really kind of frightening. And then the tree kind of attacks her. And that's when Billy comes home and they're on top of her. He grabs one of the swords from off the wall that we saw earlier. So it's not contrived. We saw it before. (laughs) And does this like baseball swing at the head of the gremlin that's on his mom's back. And the head gets chopped off (laughs) and flies right into the burning fire. (laughs) How is this a kid's movie? You tell me. You explain to me how this scene got into a child's movie. So this apparently is the big conflict between Columbus and Dante and Spielberg and the studio. Spielberg wanted it to be brought down and down and down and kinder and more family. He didn't like the Santa story that comes up later. You know, he didn't like the fact that Gizmo turned into Stripe. He didn't, you know. And so they were constantly going back and forth trying to find the right balance. And unfortunately, at the time, the balance was between PG and R. It's either rated PG or it's rated R. And that meant that a lot of PG movies were maybe a little bit more scary than they would be today. So around this same time, the same thing is happening with Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is another Spielberg movie. We need another rating because of Temple of Doom. Um, num, shibai, um, um, num, shibai, um, num, shibai. Yeah, no, movie not PG. Terrified me. Not PG. Terrified me. But maybe not R either. It is a frightening movie. It's the first Indiana Jones movie I ever saw. And as a result, it's my favorite. That's how Indiana Jones movies work. <laughs> Anyway, same I was thing with afraid of the fucking ride at Disneyland. <laughs> so anyway, the MPAA agrees that maybe there's a discrepancy here. Like Spaceballs is rated PG and they say fuck. Out of order. Fuck. Even in the future, nothing works. Beetlejuice is rated PG and they say fuck. Right. Nice fucking model. So obviously they need a, another rating and that's where PG-13 comes from. But before Temple of Doom comes out, Gremlins is going to come out. They rushed Gremlins. Gremlins was originally going to come out in around Christmas time, but it actually came out in the summer around July or so. That's because they realized, the production company realized they didn't have anything to go up against a bunch of other movies that were coming out around the same time, like Ghostbusters. This came out like the same week as Ghostbusters, maybe even the same day as Ghostbusters. They didn't have anything in their slate, and they figured this is perfect. It's the same kind of horror comedy thing. We'll slot it in there. And so it was pushed up. And that's why it feels maybe a little bit too intense for little kids, but it still feels like a family movie. I mean, if you just look at the fucking design, they're 
very scary looking. They're terrifying. They were designed after the Japanese chin dog, you know, those recently rated the ugliest dog in the world a while back. <laughs> and one and then the others after the King Charles Spaniel. So like they're both designed after dogs, one one of the ugliest dogs and one one of the cutest dogs. And like they, you know, they're green and they've got bumps and they've got these teeth and oh, they are frightening. Giant eyes and I'm very And the proud way of they you, move. Kelsey. The way they move is creepy. Claymation is creepy. Well, when they move independently, but most of the time they're puppets or animatronics, which are But when they're claymation, they're very scary. Yes. And when they're drawn, they're scary. There's a part oh, where- Oh, when they're, when they're silhouettes? When they're silhouettes. That, yes. I remember that. I remember being a little kid and like crying when yeah. I saw that. Because it was, there were so many and they build up on top of each other and then they come at you. So, now the gremlins are out. All these gremlins are dying, but Stripe is still alive and he breaks out the window and he runs away into the snow. Should be multiplying at this point, but he's not. Oh, there's also a part where they they ruin they're in the house still and they they ruin the phone lines and one of them says phone home. Yep. There's your ET reference. Mhm. On the hatch. Get out of the house. Phone home. So, he goes out and he gets wet. He jumps into a pool. Oh, there's another thing. I'm sorry. That's fine. It's pretty great. Before they all come out, they play, do you hear what I hear? Yeah. In a creepy moment. And the mom yeah. is just like, the fuck? Uh-huh. It's really well done. Yeah. It's it's diegetic. It's actually happening. It's like they're fucking with her. <laughs> yes. It's really good. So anyway, Stripe escapes and he goes to the YMCA and he jumps into a pool. I remember this is just like there's an episode of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where they have these little pizza monsters where they look like sausages, like little sausage balls. And when you put them in the microwave, they turn into these yellow gremlin looking characters. And when they get wet, they get bigger. So they're just ever so slightly different from gremlins to not be the same thing. But it's the same effect where him jumping in that same position and everything into a pool. It's a it's to get like that. a um, cannonball. Yeah, he kind of cannonballs into it. Yeah. And he's got a creepy look on his uh-huh. face. Like he's all smiling because he knows what's going to happen. He knows exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So they go out and they terrorize the town. Mrs. Deagle. And this is when it gets goofy as shit. And yeah. it's like it goes from being petrifying to being super goofy. So Mrs. Deagle comes down on her little motorized chairlift thing, stairlift. And there's carolers, and she's like, I hate carolers. Who carols? Who who carols? (laughs) She opens the door, and it's a bunch of gremlins dressed up like carolers. And this is that they're mischievous. That's what gremlins are all about. They're mischievous. They're not horror elements, especially where gremlins come from. No, they like to kill people. Right, but by being mischievous, not by being murderous. Their point isn't just, I want to kill. They're not Michael Myers. They're not Jason Voorhees. Their point is they want to have 
fun and kill people in the process. That's why they they cause mechanical failures that are otherwise unexplainable. So anyway, there they are, dressed up like carolers, presumably having killed carolers. And, and then they attack Mrs. Deagle. She gets in the chair thing, and then they fuck with that. And then it rockets her up the stairs and flies her out the window. This is when the police officers who didn't believe Billy when he came to warn them are driving by and they're like, is that Mrs. Deagle? Who, by the way, includes Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. He's the goofy deputy. Yes. I do love that when when she sees them outside singing carols, her line is, they've come for me. <laughs> Yeah. Is that supposed to mean that like I she... think it's a Christmas carol kind of illusion where she was such so miserly yeah. that she's gonna be getting her punishment. So she like recognizes that she's a piece of shit? Yes. Uh-huh. And then she's like, I'm not ready. <laughs> Meanwhile, these people are dying. Uh, and also, there is, <laughs> there's this whole thing, this tiny little subplot, which we didn't even mention because it's not important, but it's got a really funny line. This whole time, we've been seeing this big billboard for the famous uh, radio DJ of the town, and he's like an Indiana Jones character. Yes, yeah. And this line just cracks me up every time. They're li- Billy is listening on the radio and he's like, look, guys, I'm getting real sick of this Orson Welles crap. Yeah. Stop calling me and telling me about these little creatures that are taking over the world. All right. <laughs> and then, oh, God, oh God, they're here. <laughs> and then the radio show keeps going throughout the night because nobody believes him. They think it's an Orson Welles show. <laughs> I know. I love it. I love that line. <laughs> so what else is happening? The tavern um, scene. Yeah. Well, first. What's his face? The WWII guy um, explains to them what gremlins are. This is earlier on in the night because his car won't start or whatever. His snowplow won't start. No, it's his. And also his TV isn't working. Yeah. Should have gotten a Zenith, which (laughs) is the last American made television at the time. And so anyway, he ends up walking home. But we know Phoebe's working that night and cut back to the tavern. And it is full of gremlins being all sorts of wacky and she is serving them because they demand it and i think the point is is that they threaten they're gonna kill her yes so that's why she's treating them like they're customers because they want to be treated like customers the way they see in movies you know so but they're drinking this whole time how are they they not multiplying that way yes that's what i'm saying they're emulating what they see in movies Oh, I just thought Spielberg was, was just having too silly. much fun yes. and being silly. Totally. But <laughs> there is that extra level that we see them consume popular culture all the time. Comic so books, movies, radio. That makes radio, so much more sense. Everything. Yeah. No, it explains a lot about how the gremlins behave. The, the things that they do in there are very, very typical of how we see in American culture how people act, especially in the 80s, how people act in uh, in bars. bars. Yeah, dangerous CD bars. And then there's this scene where Stripe is like, come upon. He's approached by a hand puppet. 
this little sock puppet with eyes, and it's a gremlin controlling a puppet. <laughs> it's the most adorable. And then doesn't he just thing. shoot him? <laughs> I just love it. It's so fucking hilarious. But then Billy shows up and rescues her. Which I think was unnecessary, because I think she's badass enough. She's lasted this long. She could have escaped on her own. But she also, this is also where Gizmo is being targeted with with darts on a dartboard, and he's shaking, and he's terrified. And so Billy shows up as she's trying to escape, and that's where they meet up, I think. And and Gizmo comes with them. And now they're all together. But it's a long period of time where you just don't see Phoebe Cates for whatever reason. She's just not in this movie for half of it. And this is when uh, she says, I guess I have another reason to hate Christmas now. And this is where we get the most fucked up story. Yes. Okay. The fucked up story. We don't need to explain it too much because she does a really great job of telling the story. But the whole movie comes to a screeching halt for her to explain why she doesn't like Christmas. One year on Christmas Eve, dad disappeared and never came home. And it wasn't until, what, like three days later, three weeks later, that they started smelling something. And when the authorities came, they found him dead in the chimney. He was dressed up like Santa Claus. So that was a combination of how she discovered that Santa Claus did not exist and that her father was dead. Altogether, he got stuck in the chimney. And hit his head, I think. He'd been climbing down the chimney on Christmas Eve. His arms loaded with presents. He was going to surprise us. He slipped and broke his neck. Died instantly. And that's how I found out there was no Santa Claus. So... She tells this long story about how her dad dies, and this is something that reportedly Steven Spielberg hated. He hated this story. But, you know, even though Steven did so much, he did so much that there are plenty of movies that he produced that he was heavily involved in that people also considered that he directed, like Poltergeist, where he wasn't the director, but people are like, but he was basically the director. (laughs) This movie, he was like, it is It is not my movie. It is Joe Dante's movie. I am just producing this. I am giving all this feedback and all this stuff, but I'll let him make this final decision. Apparently. I love it. He let him keep the story in. I think it's fucked up, but I love it. It's emblematic of how fucking twisted this movie is. Yes. I like it. I like it a lot. So it's almost daylight. So the gremlins... Hide in a movie theater. Playing Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yes. And they're loving it. (laughs) Yeah, they fucking love this movie. I love that line. Uh, They figure out where they are, and they're trying to figure out how to kill them all. She's like, what are they watching? They're watching Seven, the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And they're loving it. Like, he's so confused. <laughs> and they all start singing hi-ho. Yeah. And it's hilarious. It really But is. again, this is in stark contrast to the terrifying creatures that they were uh-huh. 10, 15 minutes ago. Yeah. And they still are. And I think that's the thing is they are creatures of chaos and, and mischief, right? So... It's the ones that intentionally are murderous that, like, the more murderous they get, the scarier they get. There's something scary about 
not being able to pin down the logic behind something that may kill you, and that's what they are. But Stripe, on the other hand, is intentionally vicious. So, so they blow up the theater. But before they do, Stripe wants milk duds. <laughs> that's how they say it. Milk duds. Milk duds. So he leaves the theater, and they blow the theater up. And Stripe survives. And it's here that we get the sequence where they're drawn on the white screen of the of the movie theater. Yeah. Uh-huh. And this, that just resonated with me <laughs> when I was a kid. So Stripe escapes and Billy and them chase after him. And they go into a Montgomery Ward store. What's that? Oh, Jesus. Bless your heart. Montgomery Ward is a store like a Sears. Okay. That doesn't exist anymore. Oh. It went out of business a long time ago. Well, I don't know how Sears is still in business. Uh, Sorry to anyone who works again. Sears. They filed bankruptcy again. Of course they did. I can tell you why, but anyway. Innovation. <laughs> They're certainly not doing any of it. So Stripe jumps into a water fountain here and tries to make more gremlins. But Gizmo comes, and he's driving a toy car, and yes, how can he drive the toy car? Is it actually controlled by the steering wheel? (laughs) Who cares? It's so fucking adorable. (laughs) You get to see Gizmo be brave and save the day, which is what Spielberg wanted to happen. And he opens a skylight in the store, and in the fountain, where it's all bubbly and smoky and everything like that, he's exposed to sunlight. Uh, Stripe is, which will we we've been told since the very beginning will kill him, and it's just things just go everywhere, and he basically just fucking explodes. But then his skeleton comes out of the of the fountain and like starts to attack them, and then collapses. This is very very similar to what would happen ten years later in Super Metroid. There's a boss that comes back at you as a skeleton after you kill him, and then it just collapses and dies. Totally stole that from Gremlins, and he just like the bones kind of melt and turn to dust and all of that. So back at the Peltzer's home, the grandfather that owned the shop shows up, and he's like, "What the fuck, you guys?" Why does your world always destroy everything great about nature? You just don't have the responsibility. You can't take care of it. I'm taking him back. I've warned you. With Mokwai comes much responsibility. But you didn't listen. And you see what happens. I I didn't mean it. You do with Mokwai what your society has done with all of nature's gifts. You do not understand. You are not ready. Everyone's kind of contrite. They're like, sorry, we are kind of responsible for all this happening. Yep. (laughs) But Gizmo says goodbye to Billy. And it is the cutest thing. It's obvious Gizmo still loves Billy, but he's going back home with the the, uh, elderly man who was his previous owner, who he also loves, right? Mm-hmm. He was like, bye-bye, Billy. And the shop owner recognizes that Gizmo loves and cares for Billy, and so he gives him kind of this backhanded sort of like, maybe someday you'll be responsible enough to actually take care of Gizmo, and then you can have Gizmo or whatever. Perhaps someday you may be ready. Until then, Mokwai will be waiting. 
And then he takes Gizmo away, and that's the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So, Kelsey, lightning round. I think I got everything. Uh, there are a few things. Number one, they're making a third movie right now. I have no idea what it's going to be about or who's really? going to be in it, but apparently they are making a third one. Who knows how long they've been making that third one? I don't know. We see Robbie the Robot. We see the Time Machine. We see the composer, Jerry Goldsmith. We see Steven Spielberg all at the invention convention that Brandy Peltzer goes to. The Time Machine actually disappears in between shots in the background. That's very, very famous. There were deleted scenes, of course, that followed up on a lot of other characters. Like I mentioned earlier, Mrs. Deagle and her backstory and why she's foreclosing on everyone's homes. But also, Gerald, Jerry, doesn't like to be called Jerry, call me Gerald, uh, (laughs) Judge Reinhold, where he's at the bank. Yeah, because we just never see him again. Yeah, we never see him again. No, he's at the bank, and when the gremlins start wreaking havoc on the town, he locks himself in the bank vault, and he starts going crazy. But it's like, ah, they just take it out. (laughs) There's too much stuff. Finally, and I think this is very important for us to address on our show. Okay. In the the behind-the-scenes featurette that comes with this movie on Blu-ray, it's not a modern featurette. It's a featurette from the 80s. Okay. And you talk to, you know, the the characters, the, the production designers and all that, And Steven Spielberg says, the words come out of his mouth, it's certainly not a horror film. Gremlins is a sort of a gremlin and his boy story. It's a picture about something that probably could never happen in real life. But uh, we kind of wish parts of this movie would happen to us and other parts of this movie we uh, hope will never happen to us. And uh, it certainly is not a horror film. It's also not a spoof on a genre. It's one of the most original things I've come across in many years, which is why I bought it and gave it to Joe to make into a movie. It's certainly not a horror film. Maybe not for adults. But even even for adults, it is... I mean, I'm sure he likes to think of it as an adventure, but there there are other movies that Spielberg probably wouldn't consider a horror like Jaws, one of my all-time favorite movies that are absolutely horror movies. (laughs) Does he he not consider that a horror movie? I don't know, but some people don't. Uh, What he does is he creates terrifying adventure. (laughs) And there's arguments to be made, I think, both ways. Case in point, all Indiana Jones movies have terrifying things happen. Yes. So, you know, would you call them horror movies or would you call them adventure movies or would you call them monster movies? When it comes I to would Indiana argue Jones, that monster movies are horror movies. When it comes to Indiana Jones, I would definitely call it a uh an adventure, an adventure movie. movie. Yeah. It's not they they don't have enough horror in them to make them horror, but they certainly have horrifying elements. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um but this is a horror movie. I'm this, sorry, Stephen. For like okay. Like I said, I can watch it as an adult and it doesn't do anything to me anymore. Yeah. All the way through high school, I was terrified of this movie. Yeah. Like, they are creepy looking. They're really, really creepy looking. And while you have all this goofy shit to kind of balance it out, yeah, that doesn't mean they're any less terrifying looking. Right. It keeps you, even if you don't like horror movies, it keeps you watching and stringing you along because it's just so interesting and unique. With that in mind, what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? 
Most people love this movie. I would guess this has a 79. 84. There you go. Whether you choose to see it as a statement on consumer culture or simply a special effects heavy popcorn flick, Gremlins is a minor classic. I'm sorry, minor classic? <laughs> it's a classic. Metacritic rating of 70. Overrated or underrated? Probably just slightly overrated. I have a I have a deep-seated hatred for this movie. Um, I mean, I love it now, but I can't shake that hatred. I cannot shake. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> what are you going to say? I'm going to give it an 80. Okay, I guess it's not as bad as I thought you were going to go with it. No, no, I really enjoy it, but I it 80 even feels high for me. Oh, no, it's a 90 for me. Because of how much I hated this movie as a child i i love this movie and i always have it's it's brilliant and it's terrifying in equal measure and it it kept me excited because i as a kid i hated horror movies as a kid i don't know if people know this about me i hated horror i couldn't watch the wizard of oz without my brother in the room My mom forced him to watch it with me. I walked in on him watching Freddy Krueger once and I had to run out of the room. I was terrified that Freddy Krueger was going to attack me from the toilet. Like, <laughs> I ha- I was such a terrified little child. <laughs> it's movies like this that helped me get over that. This is one of the movies that haunted me. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. This absolutely did not. Because it's my fascination that... Horror movies nowadays don't scare me, like, at all. Like, not even a little bit. That's not why – I don't go to be frightened. I go because sometimes they're intense. I go because they're fascinating. And I want to explore what's going on in these worlds. And I wouldn't be able to do that in my actual real life. So the movies are my avenue to do that. They don't scare me. They fascinate me. And this movie is fascinating. It's just so endearing. I love it so much. I, I give it a 90. Anything else to say about Gremlins, Kels? Fun. Neat. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Na, 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 Oh, can I just say that that song is fucking awesome? <laughs> Jerry Goldsmith. da, 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 da. That Gremlin song is so good. It's half terrifying and half fun. It perfectly encapsulates what the movie is. That is true. I will agree with that. Very, very good. All right. Before we move on to our next movie, Kelsey, what do we do? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Give me what you got. What is the nickname of protagonist Teresa Gelbman in Happy Death Day 2017? Tree. 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 Yep. Yes, it is tree, yes. which honestly is kind of cute. I know you hate it. Stupid. I thought it worked. Nope. In the final scene of The Cabin in the Woods, 2012, see what I'm talking about when it's so easy? Like, what do they want you to answer to this question? What appendage of one of the evil gods emerges from the floor of the temple? What, his dick? What do they want you to answer? What appendage, Kelsey? His hand. Yes, thank you. Next up, 2015's Krampus. 
written by Todd Casey, Zach Shields, and Michael Doherty, directed by Michael Doherty, who famously wrote and directed Trick or Treat, which we also really enjoyed, and starring Adam Scott, Tony Collette, and David Koechner, among others. Kelsey, what is Krampus about? A little boy gets angry and throws out his letter to Santa because his family sucks and in doing so has called upon the spirit of Krampus who comes to punish bad little boys and girls on Christmas Eve. Yeah, this in this world it's all about maintaining the Christmas spirit and punish punishing, yes, punishing you if you do not. So, yeah. Anyway, Krampus is a real thing. Does everyone know who Krampus is? Let's find out. This is from National Geographic magazine. Bearing horns, dark hair, fangs, and a long tongue, the anti-Saint Nicholas comes with a chain and bells that he lashes about, along with a bundle of birch sticks meant to swat naughty children. He then hauls the bad kids down to the underworld. Krampus's name is derived from the German word Krampen, meaning claw, and is said to be the son of hell in Norse mythology. The legendary beast also shares characteristics with other scary demonic creatures in Greek mythology, including satyrs and fauns. According to folklore, Krampus purportedly shows up in towns the night of December 5th, known as Krampusnacht, or Krampus Night. The next day, December 6th, is Nicholasdag, or St. Nicholas Day, when children look outside their doors to see if the shoe or boot they'd left out the night before contains either presents, a reward for good behavior, or a rod, bad behavior. He's not the only negative Christmas creature. Krampus is from Germany and Austria. There are other regions in the area that believe in, uh, or part of their mythology is creatures called Belsnickel, Necht Ruprecht, who are both bearded men who carry switches to beat children just like Krampus. So there are variations on that. Hans Tropp and Pere Futard are in France. Uh, the Netherlands has a character called Zwarte Piet, which is a blackface character that's very, very controversial, and people dress up as, as him around this time, so they're putting on blackface. It's what country? Like the Netherlands. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. More modernly, countries like Austria, Germany, Hungary, Slovenia, the Czech Republic, they have a festival called Krampuslov, or the Krampus Run, where people all dress up like Krampus, and then they run through the streets together in this big celebration of Krampus. So Krampus is an absolutely a real thing, but it's morphed over time. But the idea is, if there's a St. Nicholas who brings rewards for good behavior throughout the year, what happens to those kids who don't? It's very similar to our movies from last year, from last week. Yes, absolutely. Punish... And then an evil Santa. Right. In American folklore, we always grew up with you get coal if you're bad. (laughs) But in fucking Germany, man, they are harsh and dragged into the underworld. (laughs) So. As it should be. Right. (laughs) So with that in mind, Kelsey, should people see the movie that is about Krampus coming to remind people what the true spirit of Christmas is? 
you should see it. I I enjoyed yes. it. There, but there are yes. problems with it. There are of things course, about it has it problems. I, there are things about it I really don't like. It is a horror comedy. Yeah, just like Gremlins, where yeah. shit's kind of wacky and there are plenty of jokes, and you absolutely laugh throughout it. So you can't take it too serious, right? And I understand that, and I get that we just talked about Gremlins and the fact that Gremlins has tons of plot holes, but. Yes. It's so, it, which is funny because this is part of my problem with it. It's so goofy that it's just like, oh my God, are you really going to give a shit about these plot holes? Fucking really? Right. Yeah. But this Krampus takes itself pretty seriously. Oh, it takes itself very seriously and when so it's it, not telling a joke. And so it very much bothers me that they've overlooked certain plot elements that make zero sense. Yes, especially the ending. And we'll get into that. But- the fact that this movie takes itself so seriously, they got Weta Workshop, the people who did all the physical effects for Lord of the Rings, like created all the chain mail and they created now, all the armor. Now this would be a place I would love that, to work at. Right? I wish it's I was insane. that creative. Weta Workshops designed all the props and the puppets and and It looks like they were having the fucking time of their and, lives making this shit. And it's fucking incredible throughout this movie, especially Krampus. He looks insanely good i love his design absolutely love it i liked it until the end when we get to focus on his face for too long and we see that he's wearing a mask why would his mouth be constantly open yeah why i think it's because he's this demonic beast why not i don't know i don't like the elves i think the elves are just kind of stupid. obviously they're they're little people in in costumes. Obviously. Yes, so it's a little bit but too much like that. The evil toys are very cool. They're so cool and fun and and funny, and really awesome. And it, it's listen, this movie is definitely worth watching. If you like it or not, watch it. I think. Yeah, you should you should give it a chance and watch it. I'm not saying you're going to like it, but it's fascinating enough that everyone should watch it. That's my opinion, at least. You can take it or leave it. When we come back, we will talk about 2015's Krampus. Merry Christmas! Looks like Martha Stewart threw up in here. It's Christmas. I hate Christmas! I hate all of you! We heard something on the roof. St. Nicholas is not coming this year. It's not starting! Rated PG-13. Kelsey, what happens in Krampus? We open on a montage of people going nuts at the mall with, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas playing over it. And Chris says this is a cliche. I agree. It's also weird because we're going through all this madness and then we see that there is a fight going on at the Christmas play. Who does a Christmas school play at a mall? Yeah. It's anyway, they're just trying to get off this really cliche understanding that like I I wrote down, wow, this Black Friday montage is really opening my eyes. I never realized Christmas was so commercial. Thank you, movie. Like it's just so cliche. Yes, we get it. I understand that the point of this entire movie is about rediscovering what's great about Christmas. 
and that people are cynical and bitter and they, they've lost the meaning of Christmas. I understand that. But this doesn't need to be the way that you do it. This is this is this is commercials. Like commercials do this. <laughs> Listen, if you're a movie and you're doing something that plenty of other shopping commercials have already done, and and if your point is that Christmas shouldn't be so commercial, maybe don't do that. <laughs> it's a little too cliche at that point. Anyway, we meet our family. We've got the guy from Parks and Rec, who's the father. Adam Scott playing Adam Tom. Scott. And we've got Tony Collette as the mother. Sarah. Um, we've got two unknowns for the children. Yeah, uh, Stefania Levy-Owen, who plays Beth, the older sister of Max, played by MJ Anthony. His name is literally MJ. Not like M-J, it's E-M-J-A-Y. Which... which I don't know if I like or not. <laughs> it's his name, though. I'm not going to make fun of him for his name. Anyway, so we find out that MJ, the kid, Max, started the fight because the other kid that he was hitting was telling the little children there's no Santa Claus. And the sister is like, why the hell do you care if he tells them that? And the mom is like, well, they've got to find out somehow. It's just like, Jesus Christ, this kid was trying to preserve this for these little children. Now, I know it's also that he kind of still believes. He's kind of at that weird age where he's like, I don't really believe, but I kind of want to keep the magic awake. Or or vice versa. He knows he's He knows he's not supposed to believe, but he still kind of does. Either way. Yeah. Like, the mom and the sister are assholes. <laughs> it was just like, fuck them. Fuck yeah. the little kids. I mean, Beth says, why do you care? And he says, somebody has to. Exactly. And that's kind of a theme that runs throughout this movie is that Max sees himself as the only one left who actually cares about Christmas. Yes. So they get back to their house and we meet their grandmother, who they call Omi. That's uh, Adam Scott's mom, played by Krista Stadler, a famous German actress who basically doesn't do any American movies. So it's kind of cool. She's actually a German actress. So we see that she's kind of the reason that Max holds on to this idea of Santa for so long. She is very much like she's taken over the kitchen making fresh Christmas cookies, even though the mother went and bought a bunch of cookies at the store. She's all like, you know, I still believe in Santa Claus and we really should be keeping the spirit of Christmas alive. And Max wants to wrap presents while they watch Charlie Brown because that's what they do every year. Yep. But everyone else has something else to do. Not entirely sure what the dad's doing, but we see that the mom goes and is putting up their newest picture of Santa Claus. and uh, Like, the, the whole family gets together with the Santa. And you can see that she has a full, long line yeah, of all is, of these. Yeah, which is weird. I don't know why you would do that. Right. But her idea is perfection. She yeah. wants to have a perfect household, perfect family. And when she looks at the picture, she sees that she has this obnoxious look on her face, which she's embarrassed about. Her daughter is very clearly looking off to the side like, this is so stupid. Santa is checking out her daughter and she's just like, Jesus Christ. Like, even she sees that there's problems here, 
But she's too focused on being perfect to let it ruin it. Yes, she's that cliche of the adult who needs everything to be perfect. Not like Max, who just wants to reenact these old traditions, but needs to appear perfect. Would rather look perfect than, you know, and accept that everything is garbage, but (laughs) but needs to hide all that. Nobody else can see any of that. You know, the perfectionist. All the sister cares about is her boyfriend and... The dad's preoccupied with work. Yeah. That's what he was doing. He needed to take a call. And she's like, I thought you said no more, no work over the holiday. And he's like, no, I I said I wouldn't have to go to work. I still have to take a few calls. (laughs) So then their extended family shows up. So this is Tony Collette's sister. Linda, played by Allison Tolman. Who is married to a very stereotypical... Red-blooded American. He's got the he's he's all about guns, big and, trucks, and and yeah, being a man and wearing camo, and <laughs> yeah, that's Howard, played by David Keckner. They have two daughters who are stereotypically acting like boys because the father clearly wanted to have boys as his children. Yes, Jordan and Stevie, played by Queenie Samuel and Lolo Owen, respectively. Lolo Owen being the younger sister of Stefania Levy Owen, who plays Beth. Uh, so they dress like boys, they're all into sports, and they wrestle, you know, and then he's got, a, he's got an actual son who doesn't seem to be like that at all. Howie Jr. All he cares about is eating. And staring blankly. <laughs> yeah, not the swiftest kid in the world. And then they have another baby daughter. Baby Chrissy. Who they left in the car. <laughs> like, they're just a horrible, horrible family. And they also bring... Aunt Dorothy. Played by Conchata Farrell. Who is the stereotypical alcoholic aunt who has to criticize everything you do. Lord almighty. Looks like Martha Stewart threw up in here. Uh, You know her likely as Berta from Two and a Half Men. Uh, She's also one of the women in Edward Scissorhands. She's in a lot of other movies. You've seen her a bunch. Yeah. So Max has a letter to Santa in his pocket. Because he had earlier been talking to Omi and asking her, you know, like, maybe I shouldn't do this. And she was like, you do what you feel is right. Yeah. And his bitch cousins, they're the whole reason. They're the whole reason this happens. Yeah, like, they're awful. One of them sees that he has the letter to Santa in his pocket. And I guess at some point she she takes it. We don't see her take it. But she clearly does, because when they're all sitting down to dinner, she starts reading it out loud. Before she does, though, at dinner, we see that the dad, uh, the guy from Parks and Rec, Adam Scott, he's trying to be really nice, and he's trying to tell his wife, you know, this is the best meal ever. He's trying to convince her sister's husband, you know, just say one nice thing. Like, could you do that, please? Like, he's really sweet, at one point, the aunt says something else snide to Tony Collette, and Tony Collette loses it. And she's like, you know what? How about you try to do everything you can to make a perfect Christmas for everyone? And then somebody comes in here and just trashes all of it. And even the aunt, like, you can tell, feels bad. She's like, I didn't mean to do that. Like, you know, she's just one of those ladies where you got to be more honest with her. Yeah. If you're fake with her, she'll be a bitch to you. Yeah. uh You can't let her, like, until you finally say, hey, you're being a bitch, she won't do it. Uh And I feel like that's kind of what this whole family is. This whole family just needs to be jarred awake. Because 
at one point, like I said, the, the, the cousin takes out the letter and starts to read it out loud. And it's actually a really sad letter. He's not asking for toys or anything like that. He's asking for his parents to fall back in love. I wish my mom and dad could fall in love again. I know they get upset a lot with dad away from home so much. I think they really just miss each other. <laughs> He's asking for him and his sister to have a better relationship. I wish me and Beth could hang out like we used to. You might have noticed that I don't have tons of friends. Oh no, really, Max? He's asking for Santa to give money to his aunt and uncle because they don't have a lot. Also, I wish things weren't so hard for Uncle Howard and Aunt Linda. So maybe you can lend them a hand the rest of the year, too. He's asking for happiness for his cousins because he knows that his uncle wishes they were boys. Yeah. And that's when she stops reading the letter and she's like, hey, screw you. Dad does not wish we were boys. Screw you. Dad does not wish we were boys. And like everyone else at the table just has this look on their face like, Jesus Christ, we, we really are a mess. So this is where the whole core premise of the entire movie resides, right? This is where it could turn into just your standard Christmas movie. This could be the moment towards the end of a Christmas movie where everyone realizes how they've lost the true meaning of Christmas, uh, but they don't. This movie is more a twisted version of that classic premise. The family is so preoccupied and bitter, but there's one character that still really cares and needs to teach them the true spirit of Christmas. I mean, it happens in everything. It happens in a Charlie Brown Christmas. You know, it happens in fucking everything. But this movie, it's the setup. Because Max gets so upset, he takes the letter and he runs upstairs and he starts to cry. Oh. And his dad comes in, Tom comes in, and he they have this really great father-son conversation. The dad's great. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's obviously preoccupied with his work, and, you know, he's not as close to his wife as, as he would like to be. He's not a perfect dad, but he really does care. And, and so they have this great conversation, and Max at one point asks him, do you really believe that, that this is really a time where family members put aside their differences and, you know, share what they love about each other or whatever? And and Tom says, I want to, buddy. I really do. But ultimately, Max is not convinced. And he tears up the letter and he throws it out the window. And this is very Mary Poppins, where it goes into the fireplace and goes up the flume and then out and then... And then Mary Poppins comes back with the letter intact, right? This one, he tears up the letter, throws it out, and it flies away to somewhere. And that letter, too, is going to come back intact mm -hmm. to teach them the true meaning of family and Christmas. And <laughs> yeah. And after he does that, all of a sudden, this huge, huge snowstorm starts up. And the electricity goes out and stuff like that. And they're like, well, there was nothing on the on the news about this, but, you know, whatever, we gotta deal with it. And the sister gets upset because her boyfriend hasn't responded to her text in a long time. And she's mm -hmm. like, that is not normal. And she's like, I'm gonna go and check on him. She's like, it's fine, it's only a couple blocks. This storm is insane. 
why would the parents say, oh, she'll be fine? Probably like because they, they live in this area. They're used to stuff like this happening. I guess. But, like, I would not let my daughter out in a storm like that. Yeah. I'd be like, you can wait, honey. I'm sorry. But you got to wait. Uh-huh. This is not safe. So this is very poltergeist. The The sister leaves the family when all the shit goes down. I did forget to say that before the sister leaves, a guy shows up with a package. DHL. DHL. And when they go to get the package, they see two bigger packages sitting on the front porch. And they ask him, oh, are these from you too? And he goes, no, it must be the boys in brown, meaning UPS. UPS. Um, but that guy will become important. That's why I want to make sure I mention it. Yes. Yeah, but that that package, it looks like a sack of toys. Yes. So they bring everything in, but they don't say anything to the family. They just bring it in. Uh Uh-huh. Anyway, the sister leaves, and tell us what happens, Chris. So, again, it's a a white Christmas. It's a hell of a white Christmas, and she's walking down the street, and she comes across the DHL truck. She's like, what's going on here? It's just, like, stopped in the middle of the road, and she wipes her hand on the window to try to clear it up and finds the DHL guy frozen inside. And she screams and panics and freaks out. She crawls underneath the truck because she can see this thing leaping from house to house, rooftop to rooftop. And she doesn't know what it is. And she gets freaked out and she crawls underneath the truck and then it lands nearby. And then it jumps away. But there's a jack-in-the-box there, and it's doing the whole da dun da dun da dun but it plays instead. Do you remember what it plays? What does the jack-in-the-box play? It plays a Christmas song. I can't remember what Christmas song. Damn it. Pops open, she looks inside and she's like, huh? And all of a sudden she screams and it cuts to an aerial shot and the the van is moving all around and it's shaking and the jack-in-the-box box is slowly moving under the under the van. And we have no idea from basically this point for the rest of the movie, we have no idea what happened to Beth. Bum bum bum. <laughs> So the next major thing that happens is... The father and the... Uncle Howard. Tom and Howard decide, where's Beth? It's just been forever. She hasn't come back yet. And she's not answering the phone, her phone either. So they need to go out there and find her. They manage to find a snowplow where the windshield is smashed inwards. So something hit it from inside. Because they thought maybe he crashed into something and flew out. But they're like, no, the glass is pointed inwards. They also find Beth's boyfriend's house and the place is just ravaged. It is absolutely destroyed. And they find these hoof prints where the chimney is. And they're like, Jesus, those are hoof prints. Because Howard knows. He goes hunting a lot. And Tom's like, what kind of... He he says, uh, he says it looks like goat. And dad and... Adam Scott says, what kind of goat walks on hind legs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they go outside and they see something coming at them under the snow and they start to shoot at it. And at the same time, they can hear Beth screaming. So what, like, where's the timeline here? I don't know. Also, then... Tony Collette and everybody inside the house looks at the gunshots. How on earth are they hearing them? They are several blocks away in the snowstorm. Are they several blocks away? We don't know what the what the. Space she said is. it's only a few blocks away. It's yeah. still a few blocks uh-huh. away in a snowstorm, and yeah, they can the hear the shotgun. Are, gunshots are loud. Yeah, I know. I believe it. Um, and also, we don't know how far back they are because they're not immediately outside the boyfriend's house. And in any case, they're worried. And. Tom and Howard make it back, even though Howard got bit by something, we assume. And they're like, we can't go back outside there. I'm sorry. We don't know where Beth is. We don't know what happened to her, but we can't go back out there. We're going to have to wait the storm out and then try to find her. Meanwhile, the grandma tells them you need to keep the fire hot. And we don't know why. She just warns them, keep the fire hot. They start boarding up the house because they know something is out there. And it's like, where did they get all the wood planks from? You know? There's not a lot of sense in this movie. But again, like with Gremlins, (laughs) there are plot holes that's beside the point. (laughs) At some point, Max is talking to his dad and he's like, I'm worried about Omi or something. And Adam Scott just tells him, you know, mom's always gotten a little weird around Christmas. I don't know why she doesn't talk about it, but that's just kind of who she is at this time of year. Yes. And because they don't have electricity and because they don't have heat, they all go to sleep in the living room. And Uncle Howard says, I'll stay up and watch them. But he falls asleep. He falls asleep. Everyone falls asleep except for Howie Jr., Who sees... Well, the fire goes out. Well, it starts to dwindle, yeah. Uh Who sees a gingerbread man hanging off of a hook and chain through the chimney. And he's like, huh. And he he grabs it and he bites it. Because remember, Howie Jr. is an idiot. (laughs) He's a total doofus. He has no idea what's going on. He's just a food machine, and that's what his character is. And so he takes a bite out of this gingerbread man. And this is where I wrote, you basically deserve your fate. Who wakes up in the middle of the night, sees a gingerbread man hanging by a chain from the chimney, and decides it's a good idea to eat that? Right. Well, I'm wondering in general how anybody managed to sleep through the night. I understand a few people, but I I stay up through the night on accident sometimes. How are these people with a missing daughter and a giant snowstorm and weird hoof monsters not so wired that they can't go to sleep? Yes. How do they end up going to sleep? I do not understand. Very good question. But anyway, the gingerbread man comes alive and screams and runs around Howie and starts to wrap him up in the chain and then pull him up. And how nobody wakes up from this, and yet they could hear shotguns from outside through a snowstorm. When they were awake, Tony Collette does wake up, and she tries to grab him to prevent him from pull- getting pulled up, and then Tom, and then Howard, and then they're all trying to, like, prevent the next person from getting yanked up this chimney, and Tony Collette sees this gingerbread man Alive. I love her look. Yes, and it screams at her, and she screams in terror, and it is so perfect. It is just like, oh my 
God. Yes. She sees a monster oh for the first time. Oh, my God. Yes. It's a living cookie. <laughs> and she screams, and it is so fantastic. But ultimately, Howie Jr. gets taken. Meanwhile, uh, some fire gets, uh, like, a log gets hit out of the fireplace. Oh, and it sets their Christmas tree on fire and all the presents. And I love how Adam Scott's like, go and get the fire extinguisher. I love that he's so on it. Like, he's like, even though this crazy shit is happening, he's like, son, go get the fire extinguisher. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they do a really... They do a, a a job. I don't know if it's a good job or not, if it makes sense for this to happen, but they do a good job of making Tom like a totally together dude. And I don't know. I like him a lot. And I like Tony Collette a lot. And I like the whole like they love each other. They just miss each other mechanic that they have going on between them. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Max does. He go. He goes and he gets the fire extinguisher and he and he puts that out because it's gonna set the rest of the fucking house on fire. And again, I'm just like, I didn't know fireplaces were this big. Maybe it's maybe it's because I'm in California. Yeah, and I'm not using like maybe they have to have bigger ones because they have bigger fires because it's cold. I don't know. I don't. Never really lived in a place that had fireplaces that we ever really used. <laughs> oh, we have. We-, we have. We have a fireplace here in this house. When. Was the last time we used oh, it. Oh, we've never used it because it's in the dining room for some insane <laughs> reason. But my parents, we, we have fires all the time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, everyone's like, what the fuck was that? What the fuck is going on? And this is when Omi decides she she's going to tell everyone what's happening. She was trying to protect everyone from this. If they could just keep the spirit alive, if they could just keep the fire burning, they wouldn't have to worry about it. But they failed at both of those things. And she's going to tell them the story of Krampus. How when she was in Germany, I guess, and there were there was food rationing and they were poor and her parents got were arguing all the time. And this whole thing is told in stop motion flashback. Here we are again. Christmas stop motion flashbacks. Awesome. Yeah. Of the four Christmas movies we've watched this year. Two of them. Three of them. Three of them. There's stop motion in Gremlins. Well, I mean, like, the stop-motion flashback, oh. specifically. Like, there's a whole segment that's just like, hey, now we're doing claymation, <sighs> you know. Hearts go out to Will Vinton, pioneer of the claymation technique. He died this year. Um, we are watching Will Vinton's claymation Christmas celebration, probably tonight. This Yeah. Is, yeah, we're recording this on Christmas Eve Eve, <laughs> so we're, we're probably watching it tonight. We'll see. Anyway, it's really great, and but the point is, is that because of the strife within her family, and they kind of take it out on her too, Omi, she loses her Christmas spirit. And she throws her now torn Santa Claus on the fire and wishes for them all to go away, just like in Home Alone. Yes, yes, I have that written down here. Hints, hints of Kevin's wish in Home Alone. And... Krampus comes and, in fact, wreaks havoc on everything and... Not to reward, but to punish. Punish. (laughs) But basically says, here you go, Omi, or whatever your actual name is. Here you go. You got what you wanted. It's it's not, uh, like, like Kelsey says, it's not a reward. It's it's punishment because you lost the spirit. You're going to find out that this really does fucking suck and, and gives this bell. That says Krampus on it. He left me as a reminder of what happens when hope is lost. And that's, there it is. That's the message of the entire movie. 
Krampus is what happens when hope is lost. Basically, it's not what you do, which is what Tony Collette is all about. She's all about the, the appearances. Cousins. Oh, yeah, but the cousins are saying, what if we do everything right? What if we yes. what if we give presents? What if we, you know, eat? And Oma whatever? says, it's not what you do, it's what you believe. But what if you've been good, like, all year? And you leave out milk and cookies and do everything else right. Es geht nicht um das, was du tust, sondern woran du glaubst und ob du schon aufgegeben hast hier drin. It's not what you do, it's what you believe and what you've given up in here. But that's what I'm saying. That's what's wrong with Tony Collette's character in this. Even though she's all about making this holiday perfect, it's it's it, for her. It's all about about looking perfect and doing perfect things, but not actually feeling the spirit. And that's the problem. So now we know what the threat is, sort of, kind of. Here is a pretty good line. I think somebody is asking another thing, like, well, what if we try this? And Omi says something. And Max is like, I can't really, I don't know how to translate what she's saying. Because she says everything in German except for her story. She tells in English. And yeah. Aunt Dorothy goes, English. I, I knew, knew it. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Omi says something. And Max is like, I can't, I don't know what those words are. And Because um, <laughs> Max and Tom are the only other people that speak German. And Aunt Dorothy goes, she's saying we're fucked. <laughs> and everybody kind of looks at her. And Omi just kind of goes, yeah, yeah. basically. <laughs> and Max or somebody is like, how did you know? And she goes, I'm old enough to know when life is coming at you with its pants down. <laughs> Can't we make him go away? Kinder, das, das kann niemand. Es ist <laughs> What's she saying? I'm not sure. She says we're fucked. Because I'm old enough to know when life is coming at you with his pants down. <laughs> it's a great line. It's, it's a, a really line. great line. So I think it's Max and Omi are trying to get the fire going again, and all the other adults are going to devise a plan. Aunt Dorothy needs to watch the kids. And so we see their plan. They're going to go to the mall, which doubles as a shelter. Well, first they're going to go to back to the house uh, where the boyfriend was because while there they saw a snow cat. The snow plow, yeah. Uh -huh. And so he's saying, we're going to go get the snow plow, we're going to come back, we're going to get you guys, and then we're going to go to the mall. Yes. And this is they're, they're devising this whole plan, but the whole plan really doesn't matter very much because what's happening while they're making the plan does. Yeah. So Stevie and Jordan, Howard's kids, they go upstairs because they need to go to the bathroom. And they hear Beth's voice coming from the attic. And they're like, Beth, where have you been? We've been looking everywhere for you. And that's when screams. I should also mention there's a part here before that happens where the sister, Tony Collette's sister, is up there taking the presents out. Yeah. And she hears, it's like it's like a jack-in-the-box. Uh -huh. And she can hear the, the sound. And Tony Collette comes in right before she's about to open it. And she's like, we're, we're talking downstairs, we need you. 
And she goes, can it wait? I was going to wrap these for the kids. And she goes, no, we kind of need to do it now. And it's just like, Tony Collette basically saved her sister right yes. there yeah. without knowing it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so then the the twin, the, not, they're not, not twins, the, the cousins go up there, like you said. And then there's these screams we hear, and the parents are like, what happened? Where where are they? And the aunt's like, they went to the restroom. And you let them go? I didn't know there was an alternative. <laughs> <laughs> so... The adults, Tom and Sarah and Linda, all go upstairs to find out what happened to Jordan and Stevie. And this is where we get a lot of really cool monsters. We get a jack-in-the-box snake that is eating... Stevie. Stevie. Or Jordan. Or Jordan. One of the two of them. We see the the feet going down into the mouth. And this is like a real person in an outfit. But it's like this long, stretched out snake that could eat a whole person. We see what they call the cherub, which is like this little angel dolly. But it's like a vampire bat version of it. And we see a teddy bear with razor sharp teeth and claws. And they're all getting attacked by these monsters. And there's some great lines in here. For example, when they first see the Jack in the Box, they immediately start shooting at it, right? Yeah. (laughs) And then the bird doll comes after Tony Collette, and they're trying to deal with that. Meanwhile, (laughs) Adam Scott turns, and he sees that there is the bear coming after the sister, and he says, bear, bear, Bear. And she's like, what? And he goes, bear! And that's when it jumps out at her. And it's so good because they all just have this look on their face like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) But meanwhile, Adam Scott is being a badass with the gun and trying to shoot all this shit up. Yeah, and... um, But then he gets attacked by an evil robot. Yeah, (laughs) which is like going to stab him in the back. Uh, Linda... Going mom crazy is a real perfect moment. It's very Steve Zissou in Life Aquatic when he just goes, he just red in the eyes and takes out the gun and just shoots everything. It's it's so perfect, but it's not good enough. But she says, give me back my kids, you fudger. Hey, give me back my kids, you fudger. <laughs> kind of cliche, but really cute. It's really funny. <laughs> There's also a moment in here. First of all, I wrote down Tony Collette screaming, and screaming in terror in the context of a comedy is never not funny. She is absolutely perfect at that. Her screaming with the cherub doll on top of her is so perfectly evocative. I, I cannot think of anything else, and it's all Kelsey's fault, of Muriel's wedding. <laughs> in the scene where Tony Collette is going to be having sex and she can't stop laughing. And then she screams when she sees these these two naked dudes come in and she looks at their penises. And she just kind of screams with her eyes wide. And that's all, that's all I can think about when when in a comedy context, Tony Collette is just screaming eyes wide. It's just so perfect and I love it so much and that's all thanks to Kelsey who exposed me to Muriel's wedding in the first place. <laughs> Also, the uh, the bird doll is trying to strangle Tony Collette with a string of lights. Yeah, so it almost does. Again. Yeah. Uh-huh. Here we are again. I'm just like, I guess they must be that strong. Yeah. If two movies did it, I guess they must be that strong. But Linda, I think Linda or Tom, one of the two, cuts her down. I think it might be during Linda's mom rage moment. So this whole thing keeps going. 
Uh, Howard, who is actually downstairs during this, I realize now. Who who earlier said, I'm not going to listen to this bullshit story. Yeah. Then gets attacked by a bunch of... Gingerbread men, who are apparently named Lumpy, Dumpy, and Clumpy. They go crazy and they attack him with a nail gun, which, as we've said before in the past, nail guns don't work that way. <laughs> you can rig them to work that way, but they they obviously had not. And even <laughs> still, they lose a lot of their velocity as soon as they leave that chamber. So, like, anyway, movies love using nail guns this way. And he keeps getting hit and stuff. And their one last one is coming at him and it's, like, on fire or whatever and it's charging at him and the dog eats it. Yeah, earlier that he had been pissed at the dog because the dog ran away, and then the dog comes in and like swallows up the do- the cookie. But then it's really sad because then he like has all this faith in his dog, and he sends the dog out after the uh, Jack in the Box, which has which ran away in the in the vent in the ventilation. And so the dog goes after that. Yeah, that dog's dead. Yeah, we hear the dog, and then that's it. So that's unfortunate. But they get attacked. And they're just about to fend everything off when... Well, first, the Jack in the Box falls through the wall. Yes. And Aunt Dorothy has the gun. And they and uh, somebody says, Aunt Dorothy, finish it. And she goes, with pleasure. But then... The elves come. We hear a horn. And then Omi says elves. And then in come the elves. And they look really cool, but they're very obviously little people Just in costumes. Just wearing masks. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the jack-in-the-box is clapping. Yes. No, that was so cute. Yay, the elves are here. <laughs> and they managed to carry a bunch of people off. And I love this because how he- Howard yells out, twisted fairy tale horse shit, and starts, like, <laughs> shooting at them. But so they get him. They take... Uh, the baby, Chrissy, Howard, and Aunt Dorothy. And so the people who are left are Omi and Tom and Linda and Max, uh, Sarah, Tony Collette, and yeah, one of the sisters. And they're like, oh, fuck, we need to get out of here. And Omi decides she needs to stay behind. Which, she's going to face him? I'm sorry, what? Yeah, Max says she wants to face him. She's not coming out. And Tom's really upset. And we get some emotion from Tom in in here because it's his mom. And she wants to stay behind. And basically what she wants to do is she's really, really pissed off at Krampus. And she needs to save her family and buy them time. So she can do both things at the same time. She can face off against him. Whatever happens, happens. The whole point, though, is saving her family time. But she does face off against Krampus, who hands her that bell again. And... He, like, licks her, and then he eats her, basically. Yeah, we never really see what happens to her. But she's dead. She's dead, yes. Omi now, dead. this is when we get to see what Krampus looks like. Yes. And I don't... I think it's a cool idea. I really like it when you can just see him in silhouette. I love the big hulking figure with the giant horns. I love that. I love that he has cloven feet. But when we get to see the face. Nope, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I I am in love with this Krampus. I love him so much. I don't like that his mouth hangs open the whole time. I think it's a bad design. Like it why no, I love it. So what, he just gets tons of things? Like, flying through his mouth. He's a demon. 
You don't think of the practicality of that. He has this tongue that sticks out. And that is part, that is part of the Krampus. Like, if you look up pictures of Krampus, he does have a very long tongue. So uh-huh. that is fine. That's part of what he's supposed to And the like. point of him wearing this mask is, number one, he's supposed to be a sick and twisted version of Santa. Saint Nick, who, that's the mask that he wears. But it's distorted. And you got these these glowing kind of goat-like eyes behind the mask. And you can see later on in the movie, close up, that yes, it is a mask. He's not just some weird old man figure. That's not his real face? See? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I wrote down in my notes, it's a mask. I don't think I ever really grokked that. It is a mask. You can see when Max confronts him later on in the movie, you can see his actual face behind it, and you can see him blink where the mask eyes stay open and the blinking happens behind it. Yes, it is. I had no idea. It's a mask. Why? So, it's hidden under a Santa Claus-like mask, and it's never revealed to the audience. That is a choice. So, you... so. Number one, they don't have to decide what he looks like and potentially ruin that. But number two, so the idea of what does he look like under that is intriguing to the audience. But again, he's supposed to be a twisted version of Santa. He's not literally a human, which Santa is. He's a saint, but he wears a mask like one. I had no idea. Yeah. It, I, had, I had no idea the first time I watched it, I think. It's the second time around that I was like, oh, it's a mask. Okay. And I was really looking for it. I'm like, oh, yep, it is. It totally is. Just like all the elves wear masks. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, they're running. They're trying to get to the snowplow, but the snowplow is dead anyway. But on the way there, Adam Scott gives himself up to give his family time and then the mother, for some reason, doesn't get in the snowplow with them, which well, isn't also, really explained. Linda does the same thing, and a lot of this is just making sacrifices. This is the this is the point, right? The reason why we do things like we visit families when maybe they get on our nerves, or we buy presents when you know maybe we don't have all all the money in the world, is you make sacrifices for others. Mm-hmm. That's what the holiday season is about, and that's why during all this action stuff. That's why that's what continues to happen, is people make sacrifices for other people. And it happens when Linda gets sucked under by the monster uh, to protect her daughter Stevie. It happens when Sarah does the same thing. It's, I need to get you guys in first, and I'm going to be in danger. But she could have easily gotten in. It's the Titanic syndrome. I don't know about that. I think you can make an argument for that. You could, like the timing, like maybe they could have edited it better to, to be like that. But the problem with the Titanic syndrome is is this is the thing that everyone forgets. They they are both on that door and it starts to sink. It can't carry both of them. So he gets off of it. They could switch places. <laughs> they could. You're right. Every hour or so. Uh, you're right. You're right. That's at least true. But the idea is, is that Tony Collette, Sarah, can risk getting in and exposing her child max to whatever this danger is or for certain die and for certain protect her child a little bit longer and that's that sacrifice that she's willing to make she closes the door behind him and then goes after 
Linda, right? And when she comes back after Linda gets pulled away, she says she loves him because she she knows it's coming again. And it does, and it takes her too. But all of this was for nothing because the snowplow doesn't work. Or, oh, he can't do a stick, so... It- well, and, and but he starts to. It starts to start, and but then the elves show up, and then uh, some of the elves get taken away by the same monster, and Stevie gets taken away by the elf, and Max is the only one left. And he goes after them. Yes. And he faces off with Krampus. Krampus gives him the same bell that he gave to Omi, and he's like, you know what, fuck this shit. He gets mad at him. And he's like, no, I take it back. I don't want you to take them away. And he hands him the little bell. I take back my wish! I take it all back! Give me back my family! At one point, he just grabs him and holds him over the pit to the underworld. And he apologizes. And he says he's sorry he lost his spirit. He's sorry he forgot what Christmas was. He didn't mean it. And Krampus kind of looks at him. This is actually before that. No, This no, is no. when he says, take me instead. Yeah, yeah. There's the take me instead part, and he goes to do it. Take him also. But this is when he's holding him. Then he apologizes at that point. So it's first, take me instead, and, and he, he wants to and, make the sacrifice. And Krampus, like... Brushes a brushes a, a tear. tear away and then starts laughing. Yeah, like fuck that. Yeah, grabs him, holds him over the pit. He apologizes as he's being held over the pit. I'm sorry. I just wanted Christmas to be like it used to be. And then Krampus drops him in anyway. And as he's falling into the underworld, he wakes up screaming in his bed. What is happening? And he goes downstairs and everyone's there and they're all having Christmas morning and, you know, they're, oh, it's a family that doesn't always get along, but they're having a great Christmas morning and they're opening presents and he seems really happy. And they're like, why are you so happy? And, you know, he's like, I just love Christmas, you know, and he gets a present and he opens it up and it's the bell. Omi sees it, and then his mom sees it, and then just kind of stares at it and stops talking. And there's all this chattering and laughter going on with the rest of the family. And then Tom sees it, and he stops, and he stares, and then everyone does. And then everyone looks kind of uncomfortable, and then it pans out, and we see that they're in the house in a snow globe, in a room full of snow globes. Where Krampus apparently keeps them. So, what does this mean? What does this mean? The first time I saw it, I figured, okay, that's their hell? They have to relive... Christmas over Christmas, and over again? Yeah, uh-huh. But, but Why they all seem to be happy. Why is that hell? And now when I see it again... Well, if they didn't learn to appreciate Christmas, they're going to experience it over and over again. I, I guess. Don't yeah. I don't know. And then the second time I saw it now, I'm like, is it supposed to be that... He says, I just wish that Christmas was like it used to be, and so now he gets that forever. I don't know. So the the other theory, yeah, is that they get a second chance, but Krampus is watching them through the snow globe, and, and maybe that's it. They're not physically in the snow globe. That's just how Krampus is watching them, right? So that's the other theory. So apparently, 
there was a comic book called Shadow of St. Nicholas that was a tie-in comic for this movie where Michael Doherty, the writer-director, the guy who did Trick or Treat, says that, yes, that is the real ending. Murdered characters come back and there's no twist. They just come back. Krampus is willing to give people a second chance. That's why he was so brutal when he threw Max in anyway, is because he knew what was coming. He was going to get, this was him getting a second chance. When you're thrown into the underworld, you're not literally thrown into the underworld. That's the passage back to get that second chance. But they need to prove they've learned their lesson, you know. So if Max hadn't gotten his second chance, Omi, that's why she was murdered by Krampus and not just thrown into the underworld. Because this was her second chance, and she didn't learn her lesson, basically. So, that's it. I mean, honestly, I think it's just they wanted a twisted ending, and they didn't want to think about how it fit logically in with the the plot, or how, what it actually meant, or anything like that. If they were brave, if the filmmakers were brave, they would have ended it with Max getting tossed in the pit, and then they played a happy Christmas song over the credits. That's the end of the movie, if they were brave. But no. They were cowards, Michael Doherty, and they wanted a they wanted a happy ending, but a twisted one. If if, if it's really the happy ending, I would I wish they were more clear about that. Yeah, that's true. I do wish it was more clear. There is an additional ending that you can watch on the on the Blu-ray. Where nobody notices the bell? Only he does and Omi does. And I feel like that would have been a more clear happy ending. It is a clear ending. If they if they intentionally wanted us to feel that it was a happy ending, that is the one they should have gone with because it is much more clear. Yeah. But I don't think it's cowardly to give them a second chance because as we saw No, with I don't Omi, mean cowardly to give them a second chance. I mean cowardly to have that twist ending. Because it's like, oh, we want a twist ending. No, if you wanted a twist ending, you would have killed the kid off and then credits. That's true. Not, oh, but it was just a dream. Or was it? No, you're trying to give it a twist ending. But no, the real twist would have been just killing him. Agreed. That I agree with. If that was their intention was to give them a happy ending, they should have stuck with the other one. Because it makes way more sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Kelsey. Yes. Lightning round. There are a couple of jokes that we skipped by that I would like to go back to. Um, yes, I can think of one in particular. When Beth is gone, and they're all kind of freaking out, wondering where Beth is, there are two good jokes here. One of them isn't really a joke, but I liked it. Omi is, you know, inside the fire because she knows what's up. And Tony Collette goes, Max, can you please get Omi out of the fire? I don't think that's the, you know, that's the last thing that we need right now uh -huh. is her catching on fire. And she comes out of the fire and she has hot chocolate. Yeah, that was really cute. I was like, and I wrote down, hot chocolate does make everything better. <laughs> it's true. And then another good joke that's here is... Aunt Dorothy is like, because at first they're just like, where is Beth? She's been gone for too long. And Aunt Dorothy goes, it looks like we're going to have another shotgun wedding on our hands. <laughs> and everybody laughs. And she turns to Linda, Tony Collette's sister. And she goes, I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> and then everybody looks at her. <laughs> yeah, that was cute. The movie starts with the Universal logo freezing over. Being frozen, I am really a sucker for theming the the production company promos at the beginning of a movie. I fucking love that. 
The best is Columbia at the beginning of Straight Jacket. At the end of Straight Jacket. No, it's the beginning. Really? I thought it was the end. No, it's the beginning. Okay. Where she's literally beheaded. <laughs> fucking awesome. And I can't believe they did that in the 60s. <laughs> Sarah, Tony Collette, mentions the noodle incident. Why the neighbors don't like Max or don't like the family anymore because of Max and the noodle incident. You can walk over, check with the Turners. The Turners are in Hawaii. The Lamberts are in Florida. And the Cartwrights stopped talking to us after Max's noodle incident. After his what? Okay. What is this? The noodle incident is a trope where it's literally the name of a trope that they put in this movie. It's uh, the concept of say, referring to something as being the reason why somebody doesn't like somebody else or somebody's not allowed to do something or what have you, but never actually explaining what that thing is. And it's a reference to Calvin and Hobbes. It's mainly like a, oh, what, what's the noodle incident? Oh, you don't want to know. You know, it happens in Calvin and Hobbes. And they use that as the reference for when... People say stuff like that in movies, like, oh, not after what happened last year. What happened last year? You don't want to know. And then they never explain it. That's called the noodle incident. In this movie, they literally call it the noodle incident, which I thought was kind of cute, I guess. Uh, Adam Scott and Howard, they have a really good heart to heart when they uh, when they go after Beth. And he's like... You know, I never really saw you as this kind of person. He's like, well, yeah. Shepard ne Shepherd needs to protect its flock. And I fucking love Adam Scott's character. I fucking yes. love Adam Scott. I just <laughs> want Adam Scott to be everyone's dad and everyone's husband because well, he seems amazing. He's like a demon or a devil or whatever in uh, in the good place. Oh. <laughs> well, other than that. <laughs> and like at one point, Howard says, uh, they're like, what was that? And Howard says, it must be squirrels. And Evan Sc Adam Scott is like, squirrels in this weather? Like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah, the two of them, Scott and Keckner, are are kind of, I mean, I see them as kind of like exaggerated versions of my brother and I. Not to like elevate myself because I talk about how much I love Adam Scott's character in this movie. <laughs> but, you know, I'm the, I'm probably the more pragmatic one and my brother is the more like hunterly manly one you know and absolutely and, and i literally hunterly like he does wear camo he does go out i shooting. wasn't gonna he say anything because we don't like this guy but yes he did remind me of your brother but no we, but we I mean, love I your brother we, we do like the guy he's obnoxious and so is my brother but i love him <laughs> I love my brother. and Your brother's and, a lot better than this yes, character. But even these two guys find something that they can bond over and appreciate each other for. And I liked that. <laughs> At one point, they ask Aunt Dorothy to take care of the baby, Rosie. And she goes, why me? I never liked kids. <laughs> <laughs> when... Howie Jr. is taken up through the fire. It really bothered me that he literally gets dragged through the fire and doesn't catch on fire. Like, what the fuck? That would, that's perfectly fine. No! Yes. Things don't catch fire instantly. They need to be exposed to fire. You're telling me that if you drag me through a fire, I wouldn't catch on fire. Do you know how fire walking works? They walk on hot coals. Sometimes there are actual flames, but the point is... 
The point is, is that depending on what you're trying to catch on fire and depending on how hot the thing is, and there are different temperatures of flame, not all flame are the same temperature, the redder and darker it is, the colder it is, the brighter and whiter and bluer it is, the hotter it is. So things don't just catch fire because they're exposed to fire automatically. As some as somebody who's in the Boy Scouts and needed to start a fire, sometimes you get that little fire going and you're like, why won't the whole thing go up? <laughs> That's when you're trying to catch wood on fire. When everyone falls asleep, we didn't mention this. My biggest question is how could Omi fall asleep? Right? She, she knows what's happening she, yeah, here. Yeah, she's the one who understands the what's at risk and well, she falls she, asleep. She's old. <laughs> there are two references to trick or treat in this movie. We see the lollipop at one point. Oh, do we? Yeah. When uh, when Max shares his Halloween candy with the cousins when they're all upset at night. I don't remember that happening. Yeah. And over the radio. They mentioned Franklin County when they talk about the storm. They mentioned Franklin County, Delaware County, Ramona Falls, and Warren Valley. Franklin County and Delaware County are real places near Columbus, Ohio. Ramona Falls is actually in Oregon, not Ohio. And Warren Valley is where Trick or Treat takes place. That's it for me. Uh, in the behind the scenes features, I just wanted to drop this in the little like making of thing. At one point, Adam Scott, when talking about the movie think, uh, mentions that this movie harkens back to Gremlins, which I thought was a neat little tie-in there. We also talked briefly at the beginning about how Weta Workshops made all the effects, the costumes, the puppets, the animatronics. So much of this movie is practical. You know, a lot of it's shot on a soundstage, and there is going to be compositing and green screen effects that's going to happen. But so much of this movie is practical, and I think it's all the better for it. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? I feel like this movie didn't do very well, and I don't know why. I'm going to guess 69. 67. Mm. Still technically fresh, but just barely. Krampus is gory good fun for fans of non-traditional holiday horror with a fondness for Joe Dante's B-movie classics. Eh? <laughs> Even if it doesn't quite have the savage bite its concept calls for. Yes, I agree with that. It's not quite as dark as you would expect it to be. Right. It's a, it's a little more silly than you would think it would be. Yeah. I still think it's a lot of fun. I Like, I, I think I said this last week. I remember absolutely hating the ending the first time. Yeah. The second time, I knew it was coming, so I was just like, meh about it. Uh-huh. Um, Knowing that they intended for it to be a happy ending does kind of make it better for me, because it yeah. makes it make more sense. Uh-huh. It's an enjoyable movie. I liked it quite a bit. There are just a lot of plot holes that I can't really forgive because it takes itself more seriously than Gremlins does. And I said I think, that earlier. Yeah. Metacritic of 49, cinema score of B minus. So actual audiences that saw it actually kind of liked it. They thought it was okay. Metacritic just savaged. <laughs> 49. That's very low. That's very low. I, it's weird. Okay. But anyway. What I'm going to give it a 76. That's that's good. I'm going to give it in the 80s, I think. I liked it a lot. I think I'll give it an 82. If it had been scarier, I would have given it a higher score. Yeah. I think that of the toys that we see, 
because the elves aren't scary. I think of the toys that we see, the scariest one... The cherub. ...is the cherub, but we barely see that. It gets shotgun blasted into the middle of a wreath above the fireplace. And then it falls. (laughs) And I really do like the concept of the Jack the Box. When the mouth comes apart, that's supposed to be its scariness. And I feel like that, it looks like it's an added on feature. And so it doesn't look real to me. Yeah. So it's not really scary. I think the bear looks kind of silly. I think the gingerbread men are supposed to be silly. Yeah. The That's robot. Why I think I'm totally fine with it because this movie is very serious, silly. You have a lot of lines of like um, Adam Scott saying, "Oh, come on!" Like those kind of moments. You know, they're it's supposed to be silly. I wish it had been a little more scary. Right, because things like Krampus and other visual elements are just stunning. Yeah, and I think I think they should have taken it a step more serious when it came to the evil yeah. toys. And when you think about Krampus, I I love this this effect. It's just a small dude, like a skinny dude, on like walking stilts, like not too high, but they are high. And he has this whole entire harness on him, and he, like Big Bird, can only see through a little screen that he has inside the suit, where there are ca- there's a camera out the front, so he can kind of see what he's looking at. And those hands aren't really his hands. He's using these this little, like, grabber mechanic to make the hands move. And he's walking on these little stilts with this heavy fucking thing. I think he's an outstanding silhouette. I think he's extremely yeah. creepy when you can just see him walking. The face, like I said, it just kind of looks a little too... But Unbelievable. That's because it's a mask. Which I did not know. Yeah. And I wish they hadn't done that. I wish I could see what he looks like underneath the mask. Like, if you're going to go full on demon, go full on demon. Yeah. Because I think when I saw it the first time, I thought he was like, this was just he had a human looking face. Yes, exactly. Because he was a twisted version of Santa. Exactly. Yeah. But nope, that's not his actual face. So go full on demon. Show me mm-hmm. what he looks like. Yeah. And if they had done that, they would have gotten a higher score. But 76, I liked it. I would recommend yeah, 82, it. I say. All right. So that is this week's episode with Gremlins from 1984 and Krampus from 2015. We want to give a shout out here to Eric, Eric, who recommended that we watch Gremlins. Eric, I think we mentioned this in the last episode. We were going to watch Gremlins, but thank you very much for recommending it. If we weren't, we definitely would have brought it up because you recommended it. So thank you very much. Big shout out to Eric and anyone if you want to recommend a movie for us to watch, please do so. And I watching? promise you guys, I promise you, if you have if you have asked us to watch a movie, they are on the list. But I'm and I mean this is great. We have tons and tons of recommendations coming in, which we love. Um, but just please be patient. We will get there. Yes. So that was this week. Kelsey, what are we watching next week for New Year's? For New Year's, we are watching New Year's Evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. And a new movie, which I, because there are not a lot of New Year's horror movies. Uh So at this point, I'm kind of reaching at the bottom of the bag. I think next year we're only going to have like one week. Otherwise, we're going to run out. But this year we're doing two, just like we did last year. Uh So New Year's Evil and a movie called Antisocial. Okay. All right. I'm excited for that. Next week, also, uh, we're not going to be doing... Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition next week, because it's the last episode of the year. I would just like to take some time to go over some stats from movies that we've rated over the lifetime of the show, 
which is a little bit more than a year. Talk about what we rated highest this year, what we rated lowest. What movies did Kelsey and I disagree on the most? And so we're going to just drop some stats in there in between the movies uh, for you in place of the trivia sessions. So keep an eye out for that. I think that'll be an, an annual thing for us. Until next week, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com, where you can browse all of our episodes and a list of every movie we've ever had on the show. You can leave a comment there, uh, share your thoughts on the movies, or recommend one or two for us to cover, like I had mentioned. But, of course, you can always do that via email by emailing us at podcemetery at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. Oftentimes while I'm editing, if I have the time and the inclination, I'll add additional comments that we don't get on tape. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. It helps us out a lot when you leave a written review and five stars. So if you feel so inclined, please do so because it really, really does help us. Second best thing you can do is share us with others. But the absolute best thing you can do every single week is listen to us in the first place. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you and we love you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Any last words? I told you we should have gotten a Zenith. podcemetery at gmail.com you can follow us <clears throat> you can follow us on twitter at podcemetery and we get Hulk Hogan but hot, anyway. cold soda and cold hot popcorn <laughs> anyway in the final scene of the cabin in the woods 2012 see what I'm talking about when it's so easy like what do they want you to answer to this question what appendage of one of the evil gods emerges from the floor of the temple? What, his dick? What do they want you to answer? What appendage, Kelsey? His hand. Yes, thank you. It would be hilarious if it was his dick. <laughs> Just flopping on the ground, destroying that. <laughs> now I'm not going to be able to think about anything else. <laughs> Just this giant, heavy, old god dick. <laughs> <laughs> okay.